Hi guys, my name is PK and here I have Owen Rask, the founder of Rask Media. If you don't already know his podcast, you will soon because he gets almost 500,000 downloads per month across his different podcasts on Spotify and iTunes. So I reached out to him. It was me kind of having a fan moment and saying, oh, look, Owen, uh, I listen to your stuff. It's really cool. It would be amazing to bring your valuable knowledge and experience and put it in front of my audience because they will get so much benefit. And he very, very, very kindly said yes. So um, this episode is going to be hopefully really, really good. I'm personally looking forward to it. We'll be deep diving financial literacy. We're not going to give you the answers somewhat disappointingly, but more I think more importantly, we're going to teach you, or rather Owen, and this discussion, how to learn how to learn. I think that is an incredible skill and attribute and trait to have to actually make money in any field of life. Welcome to the Oz Property Investment Mastery Podcast. My name is PK and I help busy people build passive income by buying top 5% growth and cash flow property and build a portfolio using data without wasting months doing research, spending weekends at inspection or catching flights or dropping ten dollars to $20,000 on buyer's agents every single time. So if you're confused, lack confidence and just overwhelmed with all the information and marketing misinformation available online and don't know where to start, then this show is for you. Thank you so much, Owen. Thanks, Vic. I really appreciate you reaching out to me. Yeah, I, I mean, I could say the same thing about you and what you've created. So uh, I'm just happy we both get to help people. Isn't that wonderful? So thanks for having me today. It's, it's really cool. It's really cool. And um, I, I sort of know about your background because I did a lot of research and I listened to other podcasts, but for other people's benefit, could you just go into like your your background in terms, and especially like to do with money, because, you know, people will listen to your podcast, they'll see you and assume that you'll have been some sort of like, you know, financially literate person your whole life, but it wasn't that way all the, all the time, was it? No, that's right. So I grew up um, in outskirts of Melbourne towards the Yarra Valley. We had a farm there, a family farm. But my my parents, neither of them were interested in money necessarily. Um, basically, like I through high school, I spent a lot of time working, uh, putting like basically like not fending for myself, but you could probably say that was close to it. Um, and I had this huge anxiety about money always growing up. So my grandparents were survivors of the Holocaust, came to Australia, um, and that kind of rippled through uh, the generations. But, yeah, I mean, I was fortunate enough to go to a Catholic school, not a private school, but a Catholic school, and I got a kind of pretty good education. And um, I didn't really – I was just completely lost, didn't know what I wanted to do. And, and money was the furthest thing from my from my background. And, um, you know, we're out of school. I got admitted into the Special Forces Direct Recruitment Scheme, which is the only um, – I guess, pathway into the special forces in Australia from civilian life. Um, and basically what was happening, PK, is I was basically like running away from a lot of the issues that I had. So a lot of the kind of like the anxiety and, and things that I was trying to solve for um, just by removing them and it didn't really work. And basically came back to Australia, uh, sorry, came back to Melbourne and um, from the army and like I just didn't know what to do. So I was vaguely interested in money. Um, from like an investing context, because I knew that it was like a massive point of anxiety. So I wanted to solve that in my life. And I was fortunate that my my friend who was studying nursing at the time subscribed to this newsletter called The Motley Fool. And um, it's a, most people will be familiar with, it's like a stock recommendation service, but it just launched in Australia. And they say that the first 
place, like the first job that you get out of school is um, is the most influential in your worldview and where you end up going in your career. And that's absolutely true. I was so blessed that we found The Motley Fool because they sent out an email that said, we're looking for freelancers to write for us. Just anyone can write for us. And so my mate and I, we thought, well, chances are they're probably not looking for too many writers. So what we'll do is we'll put it all under his name and we'll both write together. We'll write these articles on shares and investing and hopefully one of us gets admitted. And then after a few weeks or a couple of months, I can't remember, we said to them, we confessed our sins. We were saying, you know, it's actually both of us writing and we would love if Owen could write under his own name. And and so we started writing for The Motley Fool. And, you know, lo and behold, we were basically kind of like the fourth and the fifth people through the door, even though we were freelancers. Uh, and The Motley Fool is this big mothership globally. And we basically saw um, that business go from like just like a humble WordPress blog into a business capable of generating tens of millions of dollars in free cash flow or profit within just a few years. So extraordinary growth. And that was kind of like where my fascination for investing in technology caught on. I finished my Bachelor of Technology, did two master's degrees, a bit of the CFA exam. Um, and, you know, I I I hold all this time, like I, I believe that education was so important, financial education was so important, but no one did it. Like you click on the the, the web page on a bank's website, like you go to ComBank or something like that, you click education and it's basically just like, here's a personal loan or a credit card. It's like, it's not education. It's actually just marketing. It's complete bullshit, to be honest. And so I thought, well, someone's got to do something about this. So in 2017 or thereabouts, I, I set on starting what would eventually become Rask, which is the business that you see today. And uh, I remember one of the earliest pieces of advice I got when I was chatting to another founder was like, every business is an overnight success in 10 years. And basically, you know, what you see today is like most of my hair is now gone. Um, like uh, it's taken. It's okay its to me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. From this angle, it's got like a good, a good lights, uh, but that's basically it. Right. And so fast forward to today. Yeah. We've got 20,000 students who have enrolled in our free courses or our mostly free courses. We've got they said 150,000 podcast listeners, tens of thousands of readers, subscribers, heaps of different stuff. And if you think about my roots, like I was just an absolute mess. I remember saying um, that when we had our first or our first big, what we call rash treat, which is like a retreat where we go away. I just said like, this business is built on my anxiety, my anxiety about money. And I think a lot of kind of, I'm not going to say I'm an entrepreneur, but a lot of good entrepreneurs that I deal with, what I find, mate, is that most of them have some type of imbalance that drives them to, I guess, remove that imbalance. And it could be small or it could be something really profound. But mine was definitely like I had a huge amount of anxiety and a huge amount of fear. You know, I remember when I had to just get a tax file number, I was like, they're not going to give me one. As in like they, whoever they are, they're not going to give me one. Why would I deserve a tax file number? And lo and behold, now, you know, <laughs> it's a totally different story. And I'm so blessed for that. Amazing. I kind of really do resonate with that whole anxiety story. You, you mentioned this concept of people who become entrepreneurs, presumably somewhat successful, have an imbalance. I don't think I've never heard anyone really talk about that in, in detail. But as you mentioned it. I could kind of relate it to myself because 
I wasn't um, also, yeah, I didn't grow up with, with a lot. And I almost had this unhealthy imbalance of I must be better financially speaking than others. And that was like my driving force <laughs> to like, you know, become a banker and this and that. It was like totally unhealthy. Like that's very like toxic to want to be better than others. But that was my mindset. Like that, let's be honest. And it was an imbalance in, in something, right? Like money, anxiety, what did that mean for you if, uh, beyond the, the tax file number which is of course like a symptom what was the underlying uh like conflict or friction within your mind or within your heart that that led to that well i guess and i i know a lot of people listening or watching this uh will will relate to this this idea of like imposter syndrome so um my journey through uh to the finance industry was that i worked for the motley fool funny sounding name it grew hugely. I made a lot of money uh, just as a contractor. And yet I still had this fear of like, I'm going to lose my job. I don't have enough money. Um, I'm I'm kind of like de- almost destitute. Like if I don't do it now, like no one else is going to protect me and no one else is going to help me because, I mean, there are a lot of family issues that I had, had been dealing with, like a lot of family issues. Like I come from a broken family. Um, I... I didn't really have a relationship with my dad for a while. I I saw my mom go through a lot uh, personally, but also within our family while providing for us, my brother going through a lot of issues. And so a lot of the times I felt that I was kind of alone and I felt that I, I was like a team, like it wasn't the case, but I felt like constantly that I was a team of one while at the same time feeling like I wasn't worthy of being able to have money or to be successful. And so basically I I remember when I was younger, I said I, I said to myself, this is when I was really young, I said to myself, I don't really care what I do. I just want people to value my opinion. And I kind of did that because I ended up now with these all these podcasts and all these channels and this media business, you could say, and it's kind of turned out that way. But I, I remember that kind of be like the driving force. It was almost like I needed the external validation. I call it like two compasses. It's like an external compass that points some, to something. It's like all the materialistics, the stuff that you kind of, that drives you externally. It's like there's north and south and you know which way to go. But then internally, I I needed, it's almost like I needed that. I needed the validation from outside of me to prove to myself internally that I was worthy. And now I realize it's completely the other way around, ideally. And that was kind of the driving force. And we call this in personal finance or financial wellness, we call this a limiting money belief. So this idea that you have a belief about money, whether it's inherited from your environment or maybe it's passed down to you, and you use that as like a basis to inform your financial decisions. And it's quite profound and not a lot of many people talk about this enough. Um, unfortunately, that I've got a really good team around me, including my co-host, Kate Campbell. She's um, huge into this sort of stuff and really getting to the bottom of why people make certain decisions, but not just why we make the decision. What were the steps that led us to making that decision, which is, I think, really important. So what would be for for people who are in that similar boat as yourself where I would I can say I was a similar boat as well, where I needed the external validation to feel whole. But then when you do feel that your cup is full, you realize that you know that was just like the most screwed up thing ever. Um, for people who are in that boat, what have what have been the wrong steps perhaps that 
you've seen or that you've experienced or that your watchers or listeners have um, shared with you? You know, what are what are the things that that has led them down into traps or like mm. you know dark alleyways? That's really a way to put it. So, um, a lot of us there are the obvious ones. Like a lot of us are guided by material objects. So like shiny objects, right? We just we see a car on the street and our friend has a car. We're like, wow, that's a really cool car. Like, man, cool. Like you're cool. All this sort of stuff, right? And what actually happens is the really interesting case of psychology here is actually when we look at a car and as and we see someone drive past, we're like, wow, we're not actually looking at the person that drives it. We're looking at the car and we imagine ourselves driving that car. And so if you think about that for a moment, if you're the person that has bought that car and is driving it, you're assuming people are looking at you. This is an external validation piece, but no, they're not actually looking at you. They're looking at the car. And so there are a lot of instances where that happens. And financially, like on a spreadsheet, I can tell you for sure that a car is by far probably the worst investment anyone will ever make. Um, So like, there's nothing really good about that from a financial perspective. So we have this kind of shiny object syndrome where we look at that and we go, oh, well, like that's, that's pretty, you know, that's a bad thing in multiple ways. Um, by all means, you need a car to get around and whatever. But, you know, that's probably like the, the really obvious ones where people buy materialistic things. You might spend an excessive amount on like personal health or, you know, like makeup or hair care products or things like that, where that doesn't really matter. That stuff doesn't really matter. Um, but we think it does. Now, those types of spending things are completely fine. I would always like like hit myself every time I spent money on something that I thought was a, a want and not a need. And now I realize that you can have the fancy car. You can spend all that money on shoes or clothes, whatever, but you just need to spend with intention. So you need to know that, hey, it's actually not that rational. You know, you probably see this all the time in property where people, they they buy emotionally and they justify logically. And that happens a lot with money. But the big thing is, and this is what I find with, like I've chatted to many billionaires on our shows and people that are like hyper, air quotes, successful, PK. I'm doing the air quotes for people that aren't watching air quotes, successful. And it really grinds my gears that when we put people up in the newspaper or on TV and we say, you know, the most successful people, it's based purely on financial wealth. And that says nothing about the other things which are, far more important. And one of the things that's really important, and this is the mistake that I made, is that when you can't control the outcome of something, you shouldn't judge yourself on that outcome. So what I mean by that is, if say, for example, you make an investment, say with your community, they buy an investment property, right? Mm -hmm. And the investment property goes down. Now, you shouldn't anchor yourself to the outcome of that because the outcome wasn't necessarily, maybe it wasn't in your control, maybe council changed to zoning or there was some sort of road or crap neighbors, who knows? Maybe it burns down, I don't know. So you've anchored your happiness and your kind of value to that thing which you can't control. And so Mm. I was doing that a lot of the time by focusing on these external compasses, trying to get people to like me based on what they thought of me. But I have no control over what they thought of me. I had only control over what I felt inside. and there's this really interesting thing, like people will say this, is that, so you need some money and you need some health basically to be happy. Like you need to have a good, like health, good diet, be do get your sleep, do all that sort of stuff. But then you also need a certain level of income, just to, just a, enough, right? 
But if you start earning excessive amounts of income, you'll find that the happiness and the studies that go that show that anything basically over about 80,000 then starts to fall away until about 150,000. This is based on a few years ago numbers, probably gone up thanks to inflation. But once you get to that sort of level of income, it has no bearing on increasing happiness. And yeah. so I was thinking, well, if I earn more, I'm more successful in business, I'm going to be happier. And so my mistake was that when it's truly not the case. And Marshall Goldsmith, who's this fantastic executive coach in the US, he basically says that you need alignment between like your aspirations. So what, like the why you do something, the ambition and like what you want to achieve and your day-to-day activity or the process. So you need kind of alignment between those three things. Mm -hmm. So the long-term higher purpose, the goals, and also what you're doing each day. Whereas a lot of people just focus on getting stuck down in what they do each day. They don't think about, well, why am I actually doing this? I'm just trying to survive. So I made that mistake. Right. What what I'm kind of getting, I'm just I'm trying to apply this in my own life and learn as, as we have this conversation and what my brain kind of just sprouted out was that in my own situation, I'm finding that it's no longer about the money, but, you know, per se, but it's still about the money in terms of the, the achievement that goes with it. So if I make X amount a month or X amount a quarter, or X amount a year, I'm never going to spend it. Like, you know, like you said, the, the happiness, you know, flatlines, it tops out, but I'm still addicted not to making the money or not to having that, you know, oh, I have X amount in the bank, but just the achievement of it, just this, like the adrenaline of like going for it, of course, you know, aligned to my why and my purpose and helping people hopefully, mm. but it's, it, and I still, I'm not sure if that, that, achieve, that addiction to achievement is happiness. So my question to you was, you know, you mentioned that on your show, you've had many billionaires and things like that. This is a genuine question for me. Have you found that you know, of course, they're billionaires and so money no longer matters. It, are they also addicted to achievement or like why are they still going? Or are they just so such nice people that the product or service they have is changing lives? So they're like just devoting their entire being to it. Um, I'm just trying to think of the the three that I have the best experience with probably would be Hamish Douglas, the founder, co-founder of Magellan, um, the, the Milner family who run Washington H. Sol Pattinson and a guy called Dr. Sam Huppert, who, or Huppert, who's a um, the co-founder of Prometicus, the most successful Australian technology company over the past 15 or 20 years. All three of these people or families were just like you and me. They're exactly the same. They have the same issues. They talk about things. I remember we had an event last year in Melbourne and Sam was kind enough to join us and um, very open and honest guy. You can go and Google um, pro medicus share price and you'll get a sense of who this guy is and whatever um and at the end of the show he stayed for the whole event he rocked up and he's like he comes up to me and he goes because we, we give away free books at our events like we gave away thousands of dollars worth of books maybe it's like six thousand dollars worth of books at this event and he come up and he's got a, he's got all the books under his arm he's like oh, i just want to say this is an amazing event i absolutely loved it i'm going to give all these books to my daughter right here's a guy that could probably buy the building um, and he's taking the free books and he's going and he's giving this, you know, all these books and he just wants to pass on this idea of financial literacy and trying yeah. to be, you know, interested in psychology and money. And, you know, he has the same things that we have. And if I look at all of those three examples, all of them 
don't really drive flashy cars. Although I did make a joke about Sam's flashy car, and he he didn't necessarily like that too much. But um, if you, <laughs> if, if you if you all of them like are really humble people, they're probably some of the nicest people I've met, and yet they're they still drive like secondhand cars. They just do the same things, have the same struggles that we have each and every yeah. day, yeah. and yet and yet we as the general population that aren't in that bracket, we just think, wow, if I get to that. And that's once again, like us kind of aspiring, but without the why. Hmm. And I th- I'd say for you, like if you're saying to me, well, hey, Owen, like I'm driven by this thing, that is completely cool. You know, one of the things that I know is that I am not driven by money at all. Like I have no, like, n- I'm sure I just want to like to live, but I am not driven by money. I couldn't care less. Like I seriously, if you find someone that cares less about money, let me know because I'll ch- I'll challenge them. Um, but you know, I'm a finance guy. I'm in this industry and whatever. Yeah, that's like a weird paradox, you know. What I'm yeah, saying? yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. And but when I see those people, so it's when I interview people for like a job or something, they're like, "Oh, you know, oh, and you're not going to like me because I'm motivated by money." I'm like, mm-hmm. you know what? That's super cool. I love that because if you're driven by money. At least I know what you what you really value. It's the mm. people that I don't know what they value that I'm more concerned about joining the team. And I just think if that's what motivates you, go and do it. You're not hurting anyone by like focusing on money. And mm. I think it's a pretty pure motivation, to be honest, because it does open a lot of doors. It gives you, op- I think, the ultimate value of money is as a form of currency for freedom. So like the more of it you have, the more mm. you can trade for freedom. And so for people that want more control over their life and choice, you know, Morgan Housel, who's the author of Psychology of Money, who I was fortunate to interview, he he has this line that it's basically like money is, money basically gives you the option to do what you want, when you want, and with who you want. And if you think about that, that's the ultimate drive. And so if money is a means to that, sure. But if money is also has a higher purpose to you in that it's actually the thing that I want, absolutely go and do that. And I would say, go and make as much money as you possibly can. <laughs> like go and do that. And the problem is PK is just not a lot of people do that. A lot of people don't know that money is their motivating factor. Yeah. A lot of people get stuck in their job and they're like, oh, I hate my job. And you're like, well, why do you do it? You're like, they're like, oh, I do it for the money. I'm like, well, are you motivated by money or are you motivated by something else? Like, a lot of people aren't really that motivated by money. A lot of people uh, would rather just take a 20% pay cut and do something they love and work from home a few days a week and have a good boss. And they don't make that choice. And I just yeah. think they, it's just inertia that pushes people forward. Living with intentionality, like what what you're saying is it's almost like you know how some friends are for seasons you can be like really good friends for like five years six years but then f- through no fault of anyone you just kind of go apart and then maybe you might come back together in another few years time so you know some friends not all but there are certain types of friends or relationships rather we have that are you know for amount of seasons and I feel that same with money money just energy and you know you might have a season where you're really motivated by it but then you kind of cap out you're like after a while, like, this doesn't mean anything to me, but you had to have gone through that for you to have got to that realization. And I, I love it. And everyone always listens to people on shows. And you've said the exact thing that everyone says, which is money is a currency to buy freedom. 
But what I find, um, Owen, is like for people who are listening or watching, you know, maybe they're making 100K per annum, they're making 80K per annum, maybe they're making 200K per annum, they've got a couple of kids or one kid, or they're just not happy with their life or they're not happy with their financial life. When they hear a statement like that and then they hear of those billionaires, it's like, oh, you know, I want to be them. I want to be at least like them. I want to achieve that freedom. But then it's like, what do I do next? <laughs> I remember mm. when I was at high school, I was like Googling like how to make money. And I went through this rabbit hole of like e-commerce. And like the more I got into e-commerce, it's like, you know, a can of worms. It was just, oh my God, this is like so frustrating. It's, there's too much to learn. There's too many options. I don't know who's scamming me or who's legit. And so I feel that even now for people who are watching or listening to this, they're like, okay, well, I get that's the principle but I don't know how to build a bridge to that outcome. I don't have time or I don't have energy, or even if I have those two ingredients, I just don't know what to do. Like, what am I meant to do? Just watch YouTube mm. all day? Like what's, this is a really difficult question, but what's your kind of response to that? Or how do you think about that? No, no, I, um, I actually think it's the key question is like, how do you find the North star, right? You just look up and you don't know which one you're looking at. Um, like, how do you find the right one that's going to guide you? And the answer is it's not it's not a quick process. So the answer to this, the, the best answer that I've got anyway, is that you need a, an opportunity for introspection. And so a lot of people don't stop and think, what am I doing and why am I doing it? And because we don't actually know, we don't actually have the toolkit to by design to to think like this. So what I would imagine you to do, what I would encourage you to do is just on a piece of paper, is just to... On, on one side, have all the things that you like and then all the other things on the other side that you dislike. And so for me, that's like, I like animals. Like I like being around nature. I like being in the fresh air. I like having space around me. I don't like the hustle and bustle. I don't really like pollution. I don't really like um, being in crowded places all the time. And I don't really like being in places where creativity isn't rewarded. And so those are just some little things off my list, right? But they could be literally like, I like inner city living. I like live music. It could be anything, right? And what you do once you get that list of like dislikes and likes, go away for a few weeks, come back to it and be like, okay, now what are the things that I can do? How can I do more of these and less of these? And there's another activity you can do, which comes from Ramit Sethi, but then we've kind of customized it a bit, which is like the 10 things activity, which is just... You write down all the things you spend the most time on in one column, and then in the next column, all the things you spend the most money on, and in the final column, all the things that bring you the most joy. And in that joy column, you'll probably find a lot of those likes in there, right? And we're trying to maximize the joy column while also balancing the other two. And you can line them up. You can draw lines between them, and you can do this with your partner. It's pretty straightforward. And just reflect on that for a moment. A lot of people, what, what we're building up to here, PK, a lot of people have kind of got to this point. Um, but what we're building up to here is basically like a vision board or some might, if you're in like an Asian culture, it might be like a life plan where you have like in my 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, I'm going to do this, this, and this. Um, and this is not necessarily like I'm going to, this is on my piece of paper. Now I'm going to do it and I have to do it. This can change. It will evolve through time, all of those things. And it wasn't until I started thinking about this sort of stuff that I realized, A, I'm kind of doing a lot of the things that I wanted to do anyway. 
B, there were some changes that I needed to make it work and I'm still making them to get more work-life balance. C, my relationships with my friends and family really took a toll because I was, like I said, inertia was just pushing me forward in business to keep focusing on business. And what was the expense or the cost? The cost was those relationships. And so I realized that those relationships needed to be repaired because those were on my likes, you know, friendship was a was a something that I valued. So like that was on my list. <laughs> um, so I could sense, like I could have this introspection and be like, I could see this all on paper and be like, okay, I'm going in the wrong direction here, but this is really good. This part here, I want to focus more of this on this stuff. And this wasn't all me just coming up with this. Like I worked with a psychologist on this and for probably a year and a half. And I also work with a, a life coach. Um, and the life coach sits down with you and they give you something. And I've just got it in a piece of paper here for people that are watching. It's just like a little simple round, uh, like, a, like a pie chart. And then it's got things like your relationships and uh, money and all these things in there. And you give yourself a score. So it's literally them just saying, how would you score yourself for these things? And the thing is, I can't, I can't come out here and be like, well, everyone should go and be a doctor because you'll make more money and you'll get work-life balance, even though that might not be true. You know, so the best thing that this is what makes the the answer to this question hard is that everyone is different, mm. and we end up in things because of that inertia, which is driven by those limiting money beliefs. Like a, a good one is like, oh, you need to you need to work hard and you need to save money. Well, maybe not. Like maybe there's a point in your life where you don't want to work hard and you don't want to save, and that's okay. You know, like in your early twenties, <laughs> like yeah, you know, go and have fun. Don't. Like just go and have fun, um, but so there. Everyone is different, and I think when we have when we kind of break free of those limiting beliefs, like those shackles that hold us back, and we actually take time to look at these things, I think that's the way we become more intentional with money, with our careers, and relationships, and all those things that truly matter to our happiness. Right, right. I, I'm gonna uh, forgive me in advance, but I'm gonna step this up a, a second and and like ask maybe an even more challenging question because it through deductive logic, this is kind of the next step. Okay, so let's assume that I have engaged a life coach or um, you know some sort of therapy, which by the way, I'm a huge proponent of. I, I get myself as well. I have a therapist who's completely revolutionized my, my money mindset, my, my scarcity uh, habits, all that kind of thing. Let's say I've done that, you know, really solid inner work. And I'm like, okay, this next 10 years of my life is about wealth creation. This is about wealth creation. I'm happy to devote the time to it. I'm happy to devote the energy to it. My family is supportive. Everything else is in balance. I'm all good. Um, but now I'm in analysis paralysis mode. You know, how, how can I make money? There's different avenues. I can start a business. I can get a better job, a higher paying job. I can invest in the stock market. I can do index funds. I can do property. I can do fixed ink. Like, you know, there's unlimited ways by which you can make money. And, you know, it's really rich of, you know, podcasts like myself to go really deep in, in, in property and say, guys, property is the way, you know, you can get ahead, but it might not be right for everyone, right? Based mm -hmm. on their risk appetite, based on, you know, just themselves. 
like how can people actually figure i'm not tell, i'm not asking you to tell people what the the correct strategy is but how can people figure out what is the correct strategy what is the right path or what is the right blend of strategies once again i'm not asking like uh, from a financial perspective but from a mindset from a mm. mental framework but how do people approach that and just get out of that like constant overthinking and then you know watching other people get successful and like uh, and that just builds more pressure on themselves yeah uh, it's a great, great point. Like there are, there's like these two schools of camp. There's one that believes like people make decisions, like 80, 20 decisions, those really quick decisions. And then there's the others that are like the really discerning thinkers. And um, those are the ones that like can't decide between SPC or Heinz or the home label baked beans. <laughs> and then they're all the same thing that has come in a different wrapper, right? So um, now that's kind of controversial. Some people that love <laughs> baked beans will be like, well, hold on a second. <laughs> um, but, but like to this, so there's different, I guess there's different courses for different horses in this respect. And I think a lot of people, at least in the investing context, are really guilty of overthinking things. And so we have kind of like, I, I heard something this morning um, from an investor who I was interviewing, which was really cool. He said, he basically subscribes to this idea that the ideal investment strategy is the one that of least regret. No matter what you do, you're going to have regret. So if you cast your mind forward, you could invest in a property. Well, what what what's the thing there? Well, maybe I've got you know a commitment to like property management, or maybe there's debt that I need to service, so it keeps me in my job or whatever. If I invest in shares, well, I've got to deal with the volatility. I don't really. It's a, it seems like a steeper learning curve. Uh, if I start my own business, well, there's just a, like the biggest commitment I could probably make. Uh, it, the upside's there, but the chance that it survives after five years is less than forty percent. So you know, all of these different things, you started rattling these things through your mind. Now, I, it's a bit hard because you can't just, you can't always dip your toe in the water with certain things like this. You can do that with shares where you can just try it. You can like try before you buy, just like put, like you can even invest it like five bucks these days. You just mm. put some money into some ETF, see how you feel. Uh, if you go with property, well, this, this, I mean, there's like ETFs and like real estate investment funds that you can put like 500 bucks in, but it's not the same experience. Um, and then with property, uh, with a business, you can do a side hustle or something like that. And ultimately, I think the best way to think about this is your time constraint. And I don't mean, like, obviously we're talking, you time horizon is different to time constraint. So time horizon might be like, well, you don't invest in shares unless you're like a five to 10 year view minimum. But what I'm talking about is time constraint. So what do you have the time and capacity to do? So for me, I realized early on in my life that if I was going to start a business like the one that I've started and I was going to give myself to it and it took four years without a wage, like I didn't take a, a wage, I could probably only do that really early in my life because I had the time, like my human capital was basically unlimited, like to 24 hours a day, of course, but that was basically oh. unlimited. But my financial capital was minimal. I think I had a hundred grand when I started Rask and that but I've only ever taken 120 grand into the business, but you know, that, that was basically my option. So I could do it early and do like, do it hard, do it early, because then I knew that if I made a big mistake and it didn't work out, I've lost a few years, I've got the rest of my life to recover and go and get a job. Now, when I have kids or I have the mortgage, I didn't have that same flexibility because I simply couldn't take that risk. So I realized, well, in order to prioritize my strategy, I knew which one I could do at certain times of my life. And so when we come back to this vision board thing, like when you construct that vision board, what I realized, PK, is that there are certain things that I can only do in my 20s, 30s, 40s, and 50s. 
a lot of those things that were in my twenties are now long gone. So I'm, <laughs> I do have some regrets there, but you know, now in my thirties, I realize there are some things I want to do. Like one of those personal things is I want to run a marathon in under three and a half hours. I've never been able to do that. I'm probably like, maybe I can do that in my forties and fifties, but probably not. I'm going to guess there'd be people listening yeah. to be like, I done it, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, uh, and so again, that's just, that's an illustration of a personal life goal that has to be prioritized. So I would say to anyone that's sitting down and weighing up their options is one, go and look at the best, like go, go and study what you need to study to find out what is the, like the entry point for these investment strategies. Uh, number two is that your career when you're early on is the best way to make money. And by that, I mean, your first hundred thousand dollars, the best way to get to a hundred thousand dollars is to increase your income, like to earn more, get a bigger shovel, so to speak, yeah. and then start throwing the money away. But after that, then it becomes, well, how do I make smarter moves? And finally, think about the time constraints. Like what can you do at what point in your life and what can't you do? Like you, you probably can't go straight foot, like two feet, jumping straight in the water into a startup business if you've got two kids and a mortgage. <laughs> so that would probably be the constraint that you apply to that scenario. And I think through that journey, you're going to discover what works and what doesn't, you know? Yeah. Shares aren't for everyone. Property isn't for everyone. So there's something. There is something out there, but just try it. Yeah, you, uh, that's that's really sage advice. You do have to try it, but like you said before, you can't. It's not so easy to dip your toes and everything. So it's really yeah. solid um, advice from you in terms of understand your situation, um, where you are in your life cycle, your time constraints, etc., and and kind of be a little bit strategic. It's it's a subtle thing. Like people might listen to this and be like, oh, I don't know if that was useful. But if you kind of really think about it, that might create for you a proper platform off which to launch instead of going on the wrong, you know, helipad and like catching the air helicopters at complete hmm. incorrect destination. At least get on the right helipad is, is the way that I've very obscurely understood that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> my, one of my last questions here, and I, I wanted to ask you because you have this, I mean, it's powerful. You have this audience of like, you know, hundreds of thousands of, of unique listeners. You probably have like a um, an archetype or like tip of course there's a wide spectrum of people who probably listen or watch you but there's probably like an average kind of like typical person that that watches you and and gets a lot of um gets a lot of like benefit my question was what is the I assume you get feedback from your audience as well what is the advice that you've given them or what is the practical suggestions that you've given them that they have then replayed back to you and said that is from all the podcasts that you've done, from all the content that you've uh, produced for them, that is what changed my life or that is what steered me on the right dire direction. Um, I don't know if you can give any like, yeah. you know, success yeah. stories just to inspire people. I'm really interested in like the, the golden nuggets, which was really the aha moment for your audience. Yeah, it's definitely dollar cost averaging. So that just means investing each and every month without fail. We automate, we tell all of our members to automate everything that they can. So that's down to the point that like we use a broker where it pulls money from your account after it knows you got paid and it instantly puts it into an ETF portfolio that our members follow. So we have like a membership service that people can subscribe to for like $9.99 a month. Um, and it basically lays out like the building blocks of a what we call a core portfolio. And what people discover is they go to like membership services, manage funds, financial advisors, whatever. Um, and then they come to us and they're like, 
So that's how simple it is. Like, <laughs> yeah, that sounds and, too easy. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's literally people often come to us, pay us $9.99, see which ETFs we recommend, go and put the automation in their own accounts and then just cancel the subscription and away they go forever. Um, mm-hmm. and, and that's probably the big thing is like we have some rules at Rask, which whenever we produce content, PK, one of the rules is that we must always leave the listener or leave the reader or leave whoever rocks up to our event, they must leave feeling better than when they came to us. Mm-hmm. Now, that's very different to every other financial thing that you come across, which is like property price is going to fall 30%, stocks down, bloodbath here. Like if, if anyone in our team ever did that, they would have to politely look for another job because that's not what we do at Rask. What we do is we leave people feeling better and optimistic about their future because mm-hmm. so much of the world is already negative enough. Mm-hmm. And so what people truly love about us is that we cut through all the BS and we leave you feeling like you are doing the right thing. Even if you overspend, even if you lose money on an investment, you're still doing the right thing. And that is you care about your financial future. You're not just sticking your head in the sand and saying stocks are like gambling or, you know, I don't have enough money, like all these limiting beliefs. You leave feeling better. And our audience comes back to us and they say, oh, and the stock market's down you know what, I just went and bought more shares or, oh, and you said to avoid excessive leverage because it's not, you know, it's not, it's something that can hurt you. And those are the things like that just resonate. And you you know this PK because you lived in this world that I live in and you saw it and you saw that you don't need all that junk. Like you don't need all the crap that comes with finance. There's some very simple principles like invest regularly and invest for the long term. And that's the one thing that our audience keeps coming back to us with is thank you for helping me do that. Yeah. I think that's what people love about Rask. And that's also what people love about these titans of the industry, like Warren Buffett, like he says, start early, live long. It's just these kind of, you know, axioms. There's just eternal Mm. truths that you can fall back on in times where, you know, you're kind of nervous, you're a little bit anxiety about your financial future. And and I think that's what people gravitate towards in terms of content producers as well. There's that saying, right? Like no one really cares how much you know until they realize how much you care. And I think that I haven't listened to every single podcast that you've released, but the, the content that I have followed you know, it kind of does come across that way. It's like just non-BS, non-emotional, non-roller coaster. It's just like, this is it. Like This will help you <laughs> take it you know, or leave it. But this is it, right? This, this is just the bare bones of how things work. So um, mm. my last question um, to you would be um, a little bit of an existential one. So forgive me once again. But like if we fast forward like 20 years, um, what is the the one thing that, you would regret not doing in other words what are you trying to change in your life now and what is the one thing that you'd pat yourself on the back for for doing in other words you didn't regret do you understand the question yeah yeah i do there's kind of two sides to this um so like the thing that i would regret is not taking my relation not investing enough in my relationships so that's the thing that i will regret. And the thing that I'll be most, I guess, proud of or happy with myself that I did, and this is probably related to the business and it relates to what we just spoke about, is that I genuinely cared about what, like, even if I sell Rask or I close the business down or something like this, 
I genuinely cared and I genuinely helped people. And the thing that I'll be most proud of is that it wasn't me that did that. It was all the people that I had spoken to who then taught their families and taught their friends. And that's what really needs to happen for change to come. And that's what I am so proud of is that community of like-minded people that follow us. And that's the thing that makes me so proud. You know, PK, every time we do one of these events that we run, we're hosting 13 this year, I think. We tend to lose like 50 grand on each event. Wow. Uh, yeah. I mean, maybe one of them this year, we might hopefully make some money, <laughs> um, but we tend to lose a lot of money. So why do you do it? Well, you do it because you get to re- feel re-energized and you get mm. to f- see people and you get to see the looks on their faces when they've done something like they've made a change in their career or they've saved money or they've provided for a family member or something like this, or they've donated to the community. That is the reason that I do what I do. And that is what I will be most proud of myself for doing, at least in a professional sense. I haven't had kids yet or anything like that. So maybe the the question, the answer will change in 12 months. That's so cool. No, I mean, just honestly speaking, just talking with people like you is is kind of what gives me energy, just like you you talked about there, what energizes you. So I'm really grateful for your time, obviously, um, today. And I know you've got like, you had two podcasts and then you had like, you have another one. Like, could you just go through how people can find you um, and who should try to even find you? Yeah, yeah, sure. So we deal with everyone. You said talked about archetypes before. We have two. We have Sky, who's like a near 30 year old female she's probably got a kid or kid on the way or just married so she would love our australian finance podcast which is all about like financial wellness and the intro to investing type stuff and then there we have ryan who's our other one which is an older he's an engineer typically he's like a tinker or someone that likes to see how things work that would be the australian investors podcast and so um we deal with both of those but we also deal with one of our oldest members i think was 84 and he was learning how to invest in ETFs. And so like we have all different types of people. We've just started the Australian business podcast and I just purchased the Australian property podcast as well. So, um, you know, we do all these types of things where we're just trying to spread the message of financial literacy. It's not really like if you, if you feel like you want to learn, chances are you'll end up on our, our sites or on our podcasts. Yeah, that's exactly how I got there as well. But thank you so much. Um, I really, really appreciate your time, Owen. And thank you, everyone, for listening. It was a kind of a different show, but I hope you vibed with it. If you if you do that inner work, like for me, the big takeaway is like practical strategies are really important, but it all starts with the inner work. I know when you are feeling anxious, if you're not financially happy, you just want to skip shortcut fast forward to the actual practical strategy to make money but honestly you do have to start from the start the the longest journey starts with the start so just make time for yourself i think that is the big takeaway for me um and yeah i hope you guys got a bunch of value from it hit the subscribe button hit the like button and once again thank you so much brilliant thanks for having me